Hi, I'm Sam Hawley, coming to you from Gadigal Land. This is ABC News Daily. It's a year since Vladimir Putin started the war in Ukraine, a war that's taken the lives of hundreds of thousands of people, rocked security in Europe and shocked the global economy. Today, an update on where the war stands 12 months in and what to expect in the weeks ahead. My name is Eugene Chausovsky, and I'm a senior analyst at the New Lines Institute. Eugene, we're a year into the war, a, a war that I think no one really expected, but a war that's been as brutal as we all feared. Yeah, certainly this is a war that has taken on an enormous cost in terms of human life, in mm. terms of displacing millions of people, and really the, the sheer length of the war with no immediate end in sight, it's certainly one for the ages. Yeah, and the casualties, what are we looking at 12 months into this war? Do we know? Well, we don't have a very clear idea because a lot of those figures are closely guarded, but I think from the Russian side, anything from 100 to 200,000, mm. you know, in terms of uh, casualties in the Ukrainian side, also tens of thousands, if not even more than that, not to mention the millions that have been displaced. Mm, gosh, it's yes, a huge toll. I want to talk to you, Eugene, about where this war is up to 12 months in. Fighting hasn't stopped during what has been a long, gruelling winter, but what ground has been made by either side? Well, what we've seen over the past few months is that the Ukrainian forces have been able to retake some territory that the Russians took early on in the conflict. After months of fiery counterattacks from Ukraine, <laughs> Moscow's forces have been ordered to retreat. Elsewhere around Kherson, there's cause for celebration in just one of dozens of settlements taken back from Russian hands. This initially was in areas like Kharkiv in eastern Ukraine and then more recently in Kherson in southern Ukraine. Now, because it's the winter months, that has slowed down considerably. And it looks like Russia is trying to make another push to, to do offensive operations to take even more territory. Ukrainian military claims 16 settlements have been bombarded near Bakhmut. Artillery has almost completely destroyed the town of Bakhmut. Most of the city has been abandoned or destroyed, and Russians are closing in on three sides. And the Russians are focused now on the east, aren't they, on that strategic city of Bakhmut. How important is it that it gains that city? It's very important. What Russia is trying to do is essentially establish that land bridge, if you will, from eastern Ukraine to Crimea. And so Bakhmut is an important uh, city in terms of being a, a line of supply, of infrastructure, of logistics. So the more that Russia, from its point of view, can seize and control those territories, that will help its defenses and it will also help it sell politically essentially what it tried to do through uh, annexation, through the referendums, and that it will actually create that reality on the ground. In Donetsk, the Kremlin claims that over 99% have voted to join Russia. 
in a so-called referendum illegal under international law where armed troops have gone door to door collecting votes. Because as of right now, it's still contested territory. So we're really seeing a lot of back and forth right now. Mm, so over the winter, the war, while it was as brutal, it had somewhat stagnated because of the conditions. Just give me an update now on where both sides stand. How much ground has Russia actually managed to take from Ukraine 12 months into this war? Right. So I think the latest figures was something around, in, in terms of total Ukrainian territory, about 20% of Ukraine, which mm -hmm. is quite considerable. And what we're really seeing right now is a Russian push, but it's a very slow and incremental push that's coming with a lot of uh, cost uh, in terms of their forces, in terms of their weaponry and the financial cost. But what Ukraine is hoping to do, again, with Western backing, is not only maintain its defenses, but in the spring and sometime in the next few months uh, to be able to make a much bigger push to reclaim that territory that it lost to the Russians. You've mentioned a couple of times the Western support that Ukraine needs. During this winter period, we have seen the Ukrainian president, Vladimir Zelensky, travelling around asking for more weapons. He addressed the British Parliament pleading for fighter jets. The world provide us with modern planes to empower and protect pilots who will be protecting us. And I'm proud of our... Right, so Ukraine has been able to, uh, due to the um, strength of its own forces and the resolve of its people, but also with the support of the West in terms of weaponry and logistics, uh, retake some of its territory or at least stop those Russian offensives from gaining further ground. But for Ukraine to be able to sustain that and really to make the bigger push that it's really hoping to do in the coming months, securing support from the West is crucial. And that is to a higher degree than what Ukraine has received up until now. So it was a big deal when Ukraine finally was able to receive some of the uh, missile defense systems uh, that was able to kind of go behind uh, enemy lines, so to speak, against the Russians. That facilitated some of the offensives that it did in Kharkiv and in Kherson. Uh, and now we've seen Ukraine secure things like tanks, mm. um, the Leopard tanks from the EU, uh, even the US to a certain degree will be supplying some military vehicles. Mm. And this thinking is that this will help Ukraine even further. Fighter jets, of course, would help uh, immeasurably in, in the conflict. But one kind of recurring theme from all of this is that the, the NATO countries and the US in particular are a little bit measured in how far they want to go in supporting Ukraine militarily. The idea that we're going to send in offensive equipment and have planes and tanks and trains uh, going in, uh, don't kid yourself, no matter what you all say, that's called World War III, okay? First and foremost, they don't want to get involved directly into the, in the conflict with Russia, but also they're, they're very sensitive to the fact that some red lines could be crossed from the Russian side when you get things like tactical nuclear weapons and things of that nature. So it's a very delicate line to cross. The, the West is willing, it's, it's proven its willingness to support Ukraine, but how far that support goes is really the key question moving forward. Mm, 
fighter jets would be a real step up and nations like the UK, the US, they've resisted that, haven't they, because they fear it could escalate the confrontation with Russia, although the UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak has not ruled it out. And the former Prime Minister Boris Johnson, he says it's really needed because Russia cannot win this war. The the price of of freedom is worth paying. The price of allowing Putin to, uh, to succeed, that price would be far, far higher. That's his view. It would be devastating if that happened. Right, that's true, but that goes to the point of how much is the West really willing to put on the line uh, beyond the support that they've already given Ukraine. Mm. Early on in the war, we had calls for the no-fly zone, which obviously would have helped Ukraine forces immeasurably, but that implies a level of direct interaction with Russian forces that, at least until now, NATO countries haven't been willing to take. Mm, And you mentioned the tanks. Britain, Germany, the United States have agreed to send tanks. They need to train the Ukrainian soldiers up to use them so they'll be not on the battlefield yet but soon. That did not impress the Russian President Vladimir Putin, who says it's like fighting the Nazis. The ideology of Nazism in its modern form once again directly threatens the security of our country. It's incredible, but it's a fact we are once again being threatened with German leopard tanks with crosses on them. But how significant is it, the addition of Western tanks to Ukraine in this battle? As you mentioned, it will take some time uh, to get them basically on the battlefield. There's training, there's you know the logistics of everything. Um, but it, it's really one of those situations where I think this sign of Western support is driving the calculus of Russia. I think it's not a coincidence that they're trying a new offensive, Mm. trying to take as much territory in the east as they can uh, before Ukraine is actually able to deploy and utilize these kinds of assets on the battlefield. So Mm. it's really a race against time, both for Russia and also to a certain extent for Ukraine as well. But... We saw the partial mobilization that Russia pursued uh, towards the end of last year, and I think that did help its position somewhat in terms of the the slow and incremental gains that it's it's seen in the past few months. But it also exposed, I think, a lot of uh, Russia's weaknesses militarily. A lot of the uh, recruits that were mobilized essentially were poorly trained. We had the outflow of, of many Uh, Russian men from the country in order to escape the draft. So Russia can certainly drum up the the bodies, if you will, but how effective they are in combat, how willing they are really to, to sacrifice for goals that are becoming, I think, increasingly unclear what is the ultimate end goal for Russia in this conflict. So while they could have the numbers, that doesn't necessarily translate to successes on the ground. Eugene, Does Vladimir Putin think he can still win this war, in your view? That's a good question. I think that Putin has certainly messaged to his people uh, and and, and to the world that Russia is prepared to be in this for the long haul, meaning that this conflict could go on for for many more months, if not years, and and Russia has the willingness uh, to continue that. I think from a purely military perspective, I think it's clear that Putin is not going to accomplish his original goals of of Ukraine's complete demilitarization or getting Ukraine into the Russian orbit. 
But I think the hope from the Russian perspective is that the longer this drags on, the more pressure this puts not only on Ukraine, but also the West and, and its publics in terms of how long are they willing to continue to support Ukraine militarily. I think that's the kind of uh, long standoff that Putin is at least hoping that Russia can win, not the kind of short victory that was originally envisaged with this invasion last year. Eugene Chowsovsky is a senior analyst at the New Lions Institute in Washington, D.C. The NATO Secretary-General, Jens Stoltenberg, has urged members of the Transatlantic Military Alliance to ramp up ammunition production for Ukraine, saying there are no signs President Putin is preparing for peace. This episode was produced by Flint Duxfield, Sydney Peed, Sam Dunn and Chris Dengate, who also did the mix. Our supervising producer is Stephen Smiley. I'm Sam Hawley. ABC News Daily will be back again tomorrow. Thanks for listening. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.